Hey everyone, welcome to the Good Lion Theology class. This is the part of our show where we help you go deeper in your faith through both the theological study of God and through edifying discussions with our students. In today's episode, you're going to be hearing part four of our Advancing the Kingdom of God class. After the lesson, I'll be joined by our students for a discussion. Today's students are Zach and Ellie Owens, Emilia Dinatelli, and Sam Buccelli. Today's lesson is titled, The Kingdom of God Advances Through Missionaries, Not Through Retreating from Sinners. You're listening to the Good Line Theology Class. So we've been talking in this class about the kingdom of God. What is it and how does it advance? Well, actually, we've talked a lot about how it doesn't advance. We've talked about how the kingdom of God does not advance in our self-interests and the kingdom of God does not advance through force, through military or empire force. So the next logical question is like, how does it happen? How does God's kingdom actually move forward? Give us a practical, tangible way. That's that's what I'm going to do. The kingdom of God, here's how it advances. You ready? The kingdom of God advances through us, <laughs> through you, through me. The kingdom of God is within our hearts because who is within our hearts? Jesus. Where the king is, that is where the kingdom is. The kingdom advances through missionaries, not through separating from sinners. Jesus advances his kingdom through brave missionaries, people willing to spread his gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, people who are willing to take the gospel locally and also abroad to the whole world, but also to your own backyard, to your own town. And the thing is, everybody is called to be a missionary. You you can't escape it. You're called to it. Not to, you know, just lead a good life and hope that people notice. Oh, just go and be a good person and just hope that they notice that you're a Christian. No, listen, that, that doesn't work. Mormons live moral lives. Orthodox Jews live moral lives. Buddhists live moral lives. Even atheists, some atheists live moral lives. They would just, you know, disagree with us on where the source of that morality comes from. But the thing is, morality itself does not actually save anyone. The message of Christianity, the message that Jesus is king and that his kingdom means something and that it's doing something. And in order to be a part of the kingdom, you have to submit to the rule of a king who is greater than you. You have to orbit and orient your life around the kingdom of God. That message has really been fundamentally lost in Christianity here in the West. Rather than the gospel of the kingdom, we subscribe quite often to what is called moralistic therapeutic deism, which is this horrible replacement for the gospel that basically boils down to God is here to do things for me, and if I'm good, if I'm moral, then he owes me. The core tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism are beliefs like, A, God exists, and he created and ordered the world, and he watches over human life. Two, God wants people to be good and nice and fair to one another, just like the Bible teaches and most world religions teach. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. Four, 
God does not need to be really involved in someone's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And five, good people go to heaven when they die. Now notice what is absent from that. The concepts of allegiance, the concepts of submitting one's life to a kingdom. This idea of God existing as a genie in a bottle who only comes out when you need a problem solved. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And that's just simply not the gospel. Is the Christian life good? Yes. Are there benefits to it? Yes. Both in this life and the next life. But those benefits revolve around living life submitted to the king and his authority. That That's what gives us the goodness. That's where the goodness comes from, both in the sense of the eternal security that we have, but also experiencing the goodness and the flourishing, the human flourishing of the kingdom here and now as well. There's that old phrase, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. If, if you're a fan of that saying, I would just say, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> like words are necessary in every core important message. Communication is very important. We can't just go out and live nice lives and expect people to just stumble into the fact that we're Christians. No, we have to communicate what the gospel actually is. Jesus's final words were what? Go and make church congregants? No. Go and make moralistic people? No. It was go and make disciples. What's a disciple? It's a follower. A follower of Jesus, someone who is committed to Jesus. Their life is submitted to Jesus. That is what we're called to make. Those were the final words of Jesus. Go and make disciples. I'll, I will be with you. My spirit is with you. But my command, my mission for you, the church, is to go and spread the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. We're called to live in light of heaven. What do I mean by that? Live in the light of heaven. Well, I'll tell you what I don't mean. It's not this idea of, you know, one day we're going to be in a place that is warm and has light. So just just live in the sense of you're looking forward to that. No, you currently are warm. You currently have the light and there are tons of people outside your walls who are in darkness, who don't have that warmth, who don't have that light. And so the calling is to go and spread it. Our mission as Christians is not to hide from darkness, but to go and take our light out into it. Now, I want to bring up this problem. I want to ask the question, why do we hide from sinners? And in even that word sinner, I think we overuse it. It implies something. When we say, oh, those sinners over there, it implies that they are bad and we are good. Can I remind you that lost people are loved people? They're loved by Jesus. And he bent over backwards. He was willing to die on the cross for them. Even if they were the only person on the planet, he still would have done so. When it comes to us, right, those of us who are the righteous, there is nothing good in you or me besides Jesus. Jesus is the reason we have anything good. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything. It was he didn't look into the future with his foreknowledge and see our merit. He didn't see our good deeds and say, oh, what a good guy. I'll save him. No, it had nothing to do with that. The, the invitation was open to all. The only difference between us and the lost is we've seen the light and we've accepted the light. There's nothing good about me or you apart from Jesus Christ. Without him, we're just like everyone else. And, and the people who don't have him, they're sheep who desperately need a shepherd and, and the shepherd desperately wants to find those people. We're not called to separation. We're called to be in the world, but not 
of it. On the evening of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus prayed to his Father in John 17, verses 14 through 19. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just like I'm not of the world. Sanctify them into the truth. Your word is truth, and you sent me into the world so that I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. What Jesus is getting at here is we're not called to be separatists. So many Christians have lived their lives as separatists from the world. This idea of, oh, we're heaven people, but screw the world. Who cares about the world? Who cares about those people over there? If that's if that's our reality, if that's our mindset, we're turning our backs on the mission and the identity that Jesus has given us. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? In the world is about our point of location. Of the world is about our source of information. Be in the world. Where's your location? You're a missionary. Where has Jesus stationed you? The world. For me, it's Oklahoma. For you, it's wherever you are as you're watching this. But he says, don't be of the world. What is that about? It's about your source of information. Where where are you getting your worldview? Where are you getting the way that you see the whole entire existence? Where where is your core philosophy and ideology? Is it of the world? Are you thinking the way the world thinks about everything or is your mindset of Christ? Think of it in terms of a soldier sent on a foreign mission and he's sent to live in a foreign country for the purpose of a mission. He's in the country, but he's not of the foreign country. The principles and ideals and and perspectives that he has, he carries from his homeland. For us, we're citizens of heaven. We're in the world, but we're not of it. And so we're not called to be separatists from the world, but instead we're called to renew our minds and we're called to carry the way of Jesus into the world. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, thy will be done, but a great deal of it is to be done by God's creatures, including me. The petition then is not merely that I may patiently suffer God's will, but also that I may vigorously do it. I must be an agent as well as a patient. I am asking that I may be enabled to do it. In the long run, I am asking to be given the same mind which was also in Christ. This is so good. We can't expect the kingdom to just come and we just sit back and live our lives doing nothing. God has called us to be a part of the process and a massive part of that process is to renew the way that we think about the lost and actually go out to be a witness to them. If we never touch non-believers with the love of Christ or if the only time they hear from us is when we're just complaining about all of the sin that's in the world, that's a huge problem. Like, wouldn't it be strange if doctors separated themselves from patients or instead of treating the sick, they just went on social media and complained about sick people? It would be going against what a doctor is supposed to do. Jesus says, I am the great physician. I didn't come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. I remember this illustration I saw from a youth pastor at one point. Uh, It was super interesting. So he's in a room full of kids and he is preaching a sermon and he's got a goldfish bowl on the stage. And the goldfish are in the bowl, they're swimming around. And he's, he's speaking to the kids saying, listen, go out into your schools, go out into your towns, 
go out into your circle of friends and preach the gospel. Let them know about who Jesus is. And the kids are just like, oh yeah, whatever. They're, you know, they're not really super into the message, but they're wondering like, why, why is there a goldfish bowl on the stage? So halfway through his message, he reaches into the goldfish bowl, grabs the goldfish and just starts throwing them out into the audience. And the kids are like freaking out, like, what, what is going on? Why is he doing this? They're screaming. And he yells, save the goldfish. You've got to save the goldfish. And from that point, it's just total pandemonium. Kids are freaking out, running around, trying to save the goldfish. One girl steps on the goldfish and kills it. But they're, they're just running around trying to grab these fish. And eventually they grab the fish and they get them back in the bowl. And the kids are just excited and they're clapping and they're cheering. We did it. We saved the goldfish. They're, they're just so elated. And then the pastor turns to them and says, basically, hey, that's all well and good. We saved the goldfish. Yay for us. But listen, some of you were more passionate in that moment when you saw the goldfish in their struggle. You were so passionate about trying to save them. But some of you have never been in your entire life that passionate about your friends and your family members and the people in your community who don't know Jesus. Oh man, that just, when I heard that, that hit me. It was like this twisting of the knife because I was sitting there, even as myself, a youth pastor, and I was like, this is really true. When was the last time that I went out into a, a mall or the beach or wherever and saw a crowd of people and felt my heart breaking with compassion, knowing that there were people in that crowd who were lost and didn't know Christ? It just really hit me like this, this reality that my default setting is honestly apathy and selfishness. Like I don't wake up and go, how can I reach people for the lost? I wake up and go, I'm hungry. <laughs> like we all kind of live in this idea of, you know, it's the me show and it's starring me and everyone else is just, you know, supporting role characters and the people on the street, they're just extras. That's how we live our life. It's this individualistic idea of what it means to be human. The sad thing about this is our apathetic posture towards the lost is honestly the height of true elitism, especially those of us who, like me, were born into a Christian family. Imagine being born into a family of doctors who had the cure to cure cancer, and they gave you an infinite supply and told you, go and distribute this cure to others. And you saw cancer patients every week, but never tried to administer to them the cure. That would be absolutely heartbreaking. If we really want to see God's kingdom come and his will be done, we need to Beg Jesus to give us a heart for the lost, a heart of compassion and empathy and stirring up our desires to try to reach people at our own expense. In Luke 17, verse 20, the Pharisees asked Jesus, they say, Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God isn't ushered in with visible signs. You won't be able to say, oh, here it is, or it's over there. No, the kingdom of God is among you. I love this passage. It speaks to the question of when we're talking about evangelism, how can we get the world to notice the kingdom? We ask this question like we're trying to get people to open their eyes to this otherworldly mystical castle on a cloud kingdom. But what does Jesus say? He says the kingdom is among you. How can we get people to see the kingdom? It starts by getting them to see the kingdom in you. We must get people to see the kingdom in the body of Christ. It's, it's really stunning when you think about it. The, the kingdom of God, it, it's not going to be seen as 
this big castle or significant government building or even political groups. No, what we should be looking for is a kingdom that emerges in our midst. It's all around us and it's through us, not because we're great, not because we're good people, not because we're going out and being moralistic. No, it's purely because of the transformative work that Jesus has done through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And then that change manifests and through our actions, but also our words, what we say, the the people around us see that kingdom. This should be a goal for every believer. How is the kingdom of God manifesting in my life? Do the people around me see the kingdom of God in my life? Evangelism isn't merely about you say, it's about how you live, which is honestly, it's a huge amount of responsibility, but it comes down to a life submitted to Christ. I love these words from pastor and songwriter Josh White. He says, Lord, I am like the moon. Without the sun, I hang in darkness. So be the light, the light that shines through. Reflect off me the love that comes from you. I love that so much, and I love that posture, this posture that says, without Christ, I I hang in darkness. Without the Son, the Son of God, I hang in darkness. But when His light reflects off of me, then everyone around is able to see, and then they're able to have their hearts open to hear the good news when I proclaim it. The amazing thing to me is the, the secular world is searching. They're aching for a world without violence, a world without sexism, without war, racism, abuse, greed, corruption. This is what people want deep down in their bones. But so often Christian media, so much of Christian media is dedicated not to the lost. It's it's about making us feel better about ourselves. It's about critiquing the secular ways that people are trying to achieve those things. I think that we we desperately need to recapture the spirit of evangelism because the things that the world is longing for, a world without violence, sexism, war, racism, abuse, greed, corruption, that is exactly the kind of world that Jesus promises to bring. And like, why aren't we talking about that? We need to learn how to be cultural missionaries. We need to say to people, I understand what you're looking for. I understand what your heart longs for. And that kingdom is the one that Jesus is, he's trying to bring. He is bringing and he will bring. Do you want to be a part of it? We need to learn how to be cultural missionaries. Don't, don't waste your precious time fighting the culture. Instead, seek to understand it, not to assimilate to it, but to understand it and then minister to it, free it from the shackles of the lies that it believes by spreading the truth. The kingdom of heaven advances through bold missionaries, through evangelists, not from running and hiding from sinners. You won't save everyone, but you will save some. And and that was enough for Jesus to leave heaven and die on a cross. It should be enough for us. Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Lion Theology class. I'm here with the class. Say hi everybody. Maybe state your names. <laughs> hi, I'm Sam. I'm Ellie. I'm Amelia. Awesome. Well, we're here to discuss the lesson, so anybody want to go first? Yeah, go ahead, Zach. So I liked your analogy about 
being a doctor and having the cure for cancer and how could you not go and share that with people. But I thought we kind of need to expand that analogy because as a Christian, it's like you're a doctor and you have the cure to cancer, but everyone's heard about it. And either they you know, don't really believe it's the cure for cancer or they just don't believe that they have cancer. And mm, so yeah. how do we approach evangelism with a mindset where in that sort of environment, what is our what is our mindset need to be? Because that can be discouraging. Hmm. Yeah, that's good, man. I fully agree. Yeah, it's like we've got the cure to cancer, but most of the population doesn't believe that they have cancer and they're offended that you would suggest that they do. So that's right. sort of our predicament. I think that we have to keep that in mind. We have to keep in mind that Jesus says the way is narrow and few find it. So we talked about this in previous lessons, but we have to have this understanding that the majority of people that we spread the gospel to aren't going to receive it. And that's just, that's not to be something that should surprise us. It's, it's there in scripture. So we have to understand that going into it. But then just the weight that Jesus places on one soul, the value of even just one soul is so big. The Bible says that all of you know, heaven rejoices when one person turns to the Lord. So it's this dichotomy we find ourselves in where it's like we have to carry our, our theology with a humble heart. We have to understand that most people are going to resist it. And what, what I see some Christians do is they look at the resistance from the world as sort of like, oh, the world's against us. They're, they're the opposition. And, and they, it's like they try to fight against the culture constantly. They're, they're always pushing back against culture, clapping back against culture, trying to shame culture. And that's just, that's not, that, that's never won anybody. That just makes us feel better about ourselves. So it's like, in my mind, it's like if, if I had the cure to cancer and I was trying to administer it to people and they were rejecting me, I wouldn't sit around mocking them. Like I wouldn't sit around being cruel to them because of their rejection of me. No, it's like in, in my mind, I know the truth. They have cancer and they're dying from it. And so I, I need to continue to hold this heart posture of like, I care about them and my heart breaks for them and I pray for them and I want them to receive this cure. So I'm going to keep looking for ways to get them to consider their need for it. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. I appreciate the question. Something that, on top of that that came to mind is the fact that, you know, it's not our responsibility to save people. You know, we've been given this yeah. commission to go out and preach the gospel. But it's not ultimately up to us uh, whether or not someone responds in faith. And so it's not about, I mean, we want to try and get better at sharing the gospel. But it's yeah. at the end of the day, it's not about, you know, how well we speak or how well we communicate it. Ultimately, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Mm. So we're just instruments that God is using to communicate yes. this life-saving truth. Yes, Exactly right. We are not responsible for saving anyone. The Holy Spirit is what does the work. We are messengers. We are the Amazon package delivery people. <laughs> like, you can drop the package on their doorstep. It's up to them if they're going to open it or not, you know? And that's that's the reality. You can present the gospel to someone, but you can't force them 
to actually accept it, to open that gift. But I have so much faith in the Holy Spirit's ability to win and pursue people. And so my understanding of salvation, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a Calvinist. I, I'm not an Arminian. I'm what Professor Gary Brashears calls a uh, Calminian, which is like sort of the synthesis, I guess. But I believe, you know, there's, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And I also believe that he gives us free will to operate in. And with that being said, I believe that Jesus in his, the Bible says that he predestined us according to his foreknowledge. I believe that what that means is he looked into the future and he saw everybody who would receive that free gift, everybody who would choose everyone who would respond to the gospel. And so he is actively pursuing, like he, he knows the people who are his. It's this weird thing we can't comprehend where he understands those that will receive him and he is actively pursuing them and going after them and chasing them down. And so that takes all the pressure off of us to be like, I have to go out and save everyone. It's like, no, Jesus is saving everyone, or at least I'm, I'm not a universalist. I don't believe Jesus is saving everyone, but he's saving those that will be saved. <laughs> and, and he's inviting us to be a part of that process. And so to me, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's a beautiful thing that he could just essentially do it all himself, but that's not how he chooses to operate. He wants to involve humans in the process. Yeah, and if I can add some on to that as well, it, it's not even that. It's, it's so sweet to know that we can be hands-off because God's plan is being done, but it's also an encouragement in a way that it's like, I think there's some statistic that I heard from a pastor that it's about a Christian will hear the word seven or eight times before being saved before deciding Mm. to follow Christ. And so it's really encouraging that for me, it's like, not only is it like, okay, the weight's off. Our job is to bring the gospel to the people. It's God's job to bring the people to to God. And so Mm. if that's the case, that should make us way more like, man, I'm going to go bring the gospel because that you might be the seventh time and you might get that jackpot of just, all right, let's do it right now. You might be that first time and they're like, okay, dude, get away from me. What are you talking about? You know, but it's so, it's so encouraged. It's like a lottery. You get to go off and be like, man, well, I, I just, it, it should encourage you hopefully to be like, man, I want to go tell these people because I want them to be saved. And, and the quicker you get it out to them once, the quicker they'll get to number seven, you know? And so mm. I, I believe it's first Corinthians three too. It's like, so I think it's first Corinthians three where Paul's writing and, and he says, it's, I may bring, I may plant, Apollos may water, but it's God mm. who brings the increase. And so again, Amen. we're planting and we're watering, but it's all in God's hands. It's all, it's all his doing. It's all him who brings the increase. So, man, yeah. I'm looking for those number sevens, man. I'm going out there saying <laughs> as people I can, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. Fully agree, Sam. Fully agree. Anyone else have uh, a question fr- from the video? Anything jump out to you? I've got a question. I guess for someone who's like a new believer, what first steps can they take in order to live missionally? Your, your question is, for a new believer, what are some first steps they can take to live on mission? Yeah, like say they're, they're hearing this for mm. the first time and they're like, I want to do that. But like, like what first steps can they take to, to live like that? It's a good question. I would say for a new believer, you know, it, it's it's interesting because in the culture of the first Christians, the gospel spread rapidly because what was happening? It was like there was a man named Jesus who was walking around and then he died and everyone saw him die. And then he rose from the dead 
And so people were like running around telling their friends and their neighbors like, hey, you know that Jesus guy who was doing all those crazy miracles? And yeah, you know how he died? Well, he's actually, he's alive. I've seen him or I have a friend who saw him and he's actually declared himself to be king. And it's like, we don't really like operate in that context anymore. Like we're not running around like going, oh, you know that Jesus guy? Like he, he's actually alive. Like it's, we're, we're 2000 years removed. So it, it can be hard for a new Christian to figure out how they, how they fit into the story. And what I would say is there is something so powerful about a transformed life, about somebody who has given their life to Jesus and they're, they're experiencing change in their heart and in their mind. And so I would say like one of the best things that a new believer could do on mission is just share that experience with their friends. Like explain to them who Jesus is, what he's done in their life, the difference he's made in their life, the way that he's changed their life. And then again, going back to what we said earlier, trust that the Holy Spirit has the ability to like get that message into someone's heart. Like, because we, we, we can be afraid of living on mission as a new believer or even as an old believer. We can be afraid of like spreading the gospel because we are not confident in our ability to communicate it. And so we think, you know, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to Bible college. Like I, I don't know how to communicate the gospel in all of its entirety. I don't know how to package it into a five minute presentation. And what I always go to in my mind is uh, one of my favorite stories to kind of debunk this idea of it's up to you perfecting your gospel presentation to be effective is I know a guy named Brad Hall. He's a church planter in Australia. Uh, he, He runs a Calvary Chapel in Australia. The way he got saved was he was down at the pier like in the 80s or 70s or something, Oceanside Beach in California. And a, a guy walks up to him and is like, hey, bro, did you know that Jesus loves you, bro? And Brad was like, what? He's like, yeah, he does, bro. And then no he just way. left. And I was like, no way, bro. And like he didn't even give him like a full presentation. He just said, hey, Jesus loves you. And Brad couldn't get that out of his mind for like weeks. He just kept thinking, who is Jesus and why does he love me? And he had some friends who were Christians. And so he, he asked them and was like, Hey, some guy at the beach told me Jesus loves me. I have not been able to get that out of my brain. Can you explain this to me? And they explained it and he gets saved. And now he's a church planner, you know, in Australia. So yeah, I just think that's a long winded answer. Was that helpful? Did that answer your question? Yes. Yes, yeah. that did. Cool. Emilia, how about you? Anything from you? The question that I had. So what are one or two practical ways we can bring the gospel and the kingdom to those around us where we are? Hmm. That's a good question. I, I think I think I'll quickly throw that out to the rest of the class to see if they'd want to chime in on that. Can you can you guys think of any practical ways to to bring the gospel and the kingdom to the people around you? Yeah, I'd say so you you rightly said in the video that the phrase, you know share the gospel, use words when necessary is, is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we right. have to, we have to preach the gospel, but that doesn't have to be like this awkward formulaic mm. sort of thing. You know, I feel like the most powerful instances when you share the gospel with someone, it it's natural, 
it, it, it's coming yeah. out of your yeah. real life circumstance and you're communicating in the gospel in a way that is meaningful to them in their context and in a way that, that is meaningful to you as well. Because if, right. if it hasn't hit home with you, if it's not meaningful to you, it, it's not going to be it's not going to be powerful. You, you know, it needs to be coming from your heart to, to that person's right. heart. And right. so learning to be honestly authentic, you know, because if we mm. really believe the gospel, if the gospel has changed our hearts, it's changed our lives, then the way we think is different. Our worldview is different. So, yeah. you know, impacting the people around you with the gospel begins with being authentic. It begins with letting your guard down and being a Christian, not just when you're at church, but no matter who you're with. And, and that, mm. that impacts the way, you, the way you live, yes, but also the way you speak. Mm. You know, we, we easily talk with each other about, oh, the Lord did this for me. The, you know, the Lord did that. I feel like the Lord's calling me to do this. You know, I, I was doing my devos and this really spoke to me. But how often do we have those kind of conversations with people who aren't Christians? You know, we're just yeah. going to like, oh, yeah. that, that's going to make sense to them. That's going to be weird. But what if we just right. gave it a shot and we tried to be Christians all the time? Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Yeah, and, and going back to what you said about the, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's, you know, that idea of like, oh, if we just have good enough actions, people will figure out our Christianity. I think it needs to be both. It's not either or, it's both and. Preach the gospel, use words, and also use your actions and combine them often. When in the New Testament, when you had Peter and John and the apostles going around healing people, they would do it in the name of Jesus. It's a conversation starter. Instead of just healing someone, it's saying, hey, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And then it's like, whoa, how does Jesus have the power to heal me? And then it's a gospel conversation. You know, if you feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to go do yard work for an old lady in your community, don't just do the yard work. Say, hey, you know, let me tell you why I'm doing this. It's because of Jesus. And here's what he did for me. And he's compelling me to do this for you. So they just, they, they go both hand in hand, I think. Um, Sam, what about you, man? What, what do you think? Can you think of any tangible ways that we can be missionaries in our community? You know, because we think of missionary work as like going overseas, flying over to another country. What does being a, a missionary in California look like for you, bro? Yeah, man. I mean, I can tell you a way it's not going to happen. And, and it's not going to happen by not being in the word. Mm. And the first way, the only way you're going to be a missionary, a successful missionary, and, and bring people to, to the gospel, bring people to Jesus, is if you have the gospel flowing through you. You, you need to have that re- right relationship where you are at the foot of the cross here. You're under Jesus. You are truly a disciple. When I think of a disciple, what do I think of, man? I think of like, you know, I don't know, the sinking Ninja Turtles or something under <laughs> Splinter. You know, it's like yes. you are you are under them. You're learning from them. They're a teacher. They're, they're a master. There's someone that the only way they're going to be your master is if you respect them and you believe them to be mm-hmm. right. You know, like you think you have the way I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to gain from you. And if I can do it, other people can too. Right. So it mm. takes like that, that practical understanding of, of, of why you're doing this, how to make disciples is it's, you got to believe it. Like you got to truly mm. believe it to be true. And you have to have that right relationship with God first. So yeah. it's like, get in the word, understand who Jesus is, you know, to the best of your ability, right? Like we pray, like, you know, it's like, it's funny. It's like, we're, we're talking about the kingdom working and and one of the verses that's been running through my heart the most lately, uh, Matthew six, somewhere six, something. I know it's Matthew six. He says, you know, seek first the kingdom of heaven to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Right. And so it's like, that's in everything that I'm 
attempting to do. And so if we can first seek his righteousness and his kingdom, Mm. it's everything else is going to fall in line. So you need to have that right order in order to be a successful missionary in California, wherever you're at, you you need to have that right understanding of seeking first Mm. the kingdom and and, and all things. Right. So it's like, and then once you're seeking that kingdom, you believe something and then it's like, yeah, we're talking a lot about, you know, whether or not like, you know, spread the gospel if necessary, use words and, and the idea is if you believe who Jesus says he is, that's going to influence your thoughts. And if your yes. thoughts are influenced, it's going to influence your actions. It shouldn't yes. be something that we need to, you know, like do ourselves, like construct like a plan or whatever. Like, you know, it's great to have a, an idea and an understanding. It's so much of what being a missionary looks like in my life is talking to people mm. And it just flows out. Like, it's just so, you don't have to sit there and be worried because it's not on you. We just talked earlier. It's not about us. It's not about what we can conjure up or how we can save people. I, I had problems in my early life being eight, when I was like 18, 19. It was, it was, how can Sam Buccelli save this person, right? And that was my, <laughs> that was my, my idea of looking at it. And the Lord had to humble me so hard, you know, and chastise mm-hmm. me and rebuke me. He'd be like, dude, you're not saving anybody, you idiot. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> you know, like, that's the case. Yeah. He's like, who do you think you are? And I had to get down on my knees and be like, Lord, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it wasn't even mm-hmm. me. And then it's like, not only did that lift the burden, burden off, but so much more so that made it yeah. like, man, I can get to these people and just tell them what Jesus has done for me. man, I can get with these people, talk to them completely normally. It's not some facade. It's not some, you know, mm. normal thing. It's like, I'm in my word. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to know who Jesus is because I'm his disciple and I love him and I want him to be the center of my life. And if he's the center of your life, you're going to talk about it. Mm. If, if he is what that is. So it's like, you know, it's almost like a challenge. Like, do you even, are you a disciple? Like to make a missionary, it's like, that's the point. Like if you're a disciple, it's going to, be very, very re- relevant in your life. And so I think yes. it's interesting in the video that we watched before the center, you brought up whole, the whole idea of, I don't, I don't remember the long term for what it is, but I, I've moralistic therapeutic deism. Yes. And, and I've heard like the Christian Buddhism, like it's almost the same idea. It's like, there's a God yeah. out there, you believe him and, and it's like a genie. It's like, I, you know, I'll talk to this God. He's out there for me, prosperity kind of idea. And it's like, that's just like where a lot of people are at. And so it's like, mm. you, you got to check yourself, like and get in the word and be like, dude, like we're, that's how we know God's heart. That's how we know him. And so if we want to make disciples, we want to go out and bring the kingdom and, and, and grow the kingdom. We got to know who the, that's good. Who's owning the kingdom, you know, <laughs> <laughs> who's up that's top good. first. So that's good. I don't Sam. know if that answered the question. No, that's really, really good. I love everything you guys said. And I think to wrap it up, I would say this. We need to bring back to the forefront of every Christian's mindset the two things. The reality that they are called to be a missionary. Mm. Every Christian is called to be a missionary. And two, they need to talk about Jesus. Whether that is at their work, whether that is on social media, whether that is at their school, in their family, in their circle of friends. We all have a sphere of influence. How are we using that for the kingdom. And it's it's really funny to me. I, I really want to hammer on this, actually, because there is this timidness that a lot of us have where it's like, man, I just don't want to rock the boat. I, I don't want to get religious. I don't want to bring up my faith because it's kind of a personal thing between me and Jesus. And it's like, no, just blow that concept out of the water. It was never meant to be personal. Christianity is not about your personal relationship with Jesus. It is about a kingdom that Jesus is building full of people and a mission 
that is a collaborative effort between you and God and other Christians to win people to that kingdom. And so we need to talk about him. It's interesting because we live in we live in a society, right? Where if people are into Marvel movies, I'm going to know about it. Why? Because they're wearing the t-shirt and they're posting on social media about it. If people are into CrossFit, I'm going to know about it because they're going to tell me constantly. If people are into essential oils, I'm going to know about it all the time because they're going to try to get me to join their MLM pyramid pyramid scheme. You know, like people, it's not, it's not that people aren't, people are, I feel like people are more bold now more than ever. Because I've seen some of the most timid people that I've ever known very open and vocal about their opinions, especially their political opinions on social media. Everybody's just blasting constantly their opinion on everything. Why, we, why are we... But we have lost this, this feeling of urgency to be vocal about the gospel and, and the kingdom. And so we need to bring that center stage. Like when people are scrolling through our Instagram, our Facebook feed, and they can tell, I know exactly what kind of political person this is. I know exactly what what movies this person is into, but they can't tell your heart for the kingdom or for the gospel. There, there's a problem. We've got something backwards. example I can hear in the Bible, um, back to Emily's question, is Daniel. I love mm. that in the first chapter, he's selected to be one of the king's um, special people um, and he gives them all his food, but Daniel determines in his heart that he won't defile it. And I mm. think that's something that when we're in secular environments that we can apply practically to our lives. I know I was working in a coffee shop for like two years and it was a really secular environment. Mm. And one thing I decided was that I wasn't going to swear and I wasn't going to talk bad about people. And just those two simple things people really noticed. Like I had coworkers were like, oh, you never, you never swear. Or, you know, why don't you swear? And it kind of provided a way for me to share a bit about my faith. So just mm. like kind of that's awesome. choosing to, to be set apart and people, people really do notice. And that's yeah, a practical thing that mm. we do. That's so good. That And I love, I love that too. Like the whole side note on the whole swearing thing, because when I was a middle school pastor, especially, I'd have kids going, why is it so bad to cuss? Like, what? why can't I swear? Like, <laughs> Sam, I don't know if you remember, but there was one time we had a few uh, of your friends in my car and they were <laughs> literally dropping F-bombs to try to make me uh, uncomfortable. But yeah, I, know I <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, it's like, it's not like, oh, there's a list of words that are bad and God gets mad at you when you say the bad words. It, it, it fundamentally boils down to one of the core reasons why not to is we're called to be set apart as Christians. What a wonderful way to be different than by setting yourself apart by just not speaking in a way that the rest of the world is so used to a way that's, you know, foul and cruel and crude and, and offensive. And I love that you doing that opened up this, this gate for people to ask what is something's different about her. You know, they, they could see that something was different. And so it's a conversation starter. I, I love that, Ellie. Really, really good. I, I think it's a mixture kind of like Daniel, but also what Paul says about all things to all people, where we need to understand mm. where the people are at and where they're coming from when we're engaging in conversation, not even just mm. about God or religious things, but just in general. Like I have a coworker where she's really into 
astrology and all of that stuff. And so I had her explain it to me and then I explained to her why I don't believe in it. And we were able to have a really good conversation. And then a couple months down the road, her mom got cancer and I was one of the first people that she told because she knew that I would be praying for her mom, but also that I would be checking in on her and making sure that she was okay. I was someone that she knew that she could trust with that information and that would be praying for her mom, but also be taking care of her in the middle of it. And I was able to be in that position only because we'd been able to have those deep conversations about things that she cared about, but also about who Jesus was. Wow. That's beautiful. And I I love that your willingness to speak to her, you did a great, like, I don't know if you've had this in training, but what you did in listening to her and letting her express her worldview, that's a great cultural missionary technique because instead of going in and saying, Hey, are you a bad person? Have you ever sinned? Let me tell you about how you're a horrible person. And if you don't repent, you're going to hell. Which is all those things, you know, there's truth to those things, but that's not how you opened. You opened with, hey, let me hear about your worldview. Explain it to me. And, and it's, you're, you're doing it in a way that's winsome. And then you're still challenging, you know, you're challenging what she believes, but you're doing it in a, from the perspective of I'm someone who cares about you. So let me explain why I don't think that's true, you know? And so it's just, we do these things, but a, a lot of times we do it the wrong way. And so it leads to pushing people away. So I, I love tangible stories like that about we, we affect people for the gospel with that kind of winsome attitude. So really, really cool, Emilia. Sam, let, let's wrap up this video before we go on to the next lesson with a question from you. So based on this discussion, based on this lesson, uh, do you have any questions? Um, yeah, so I think the main idea that was kind of on my heart was just are, are we taking the word of God seriously? You know, mm. it's kind of an open-ended question that can kind of just sit and fester and kind of evoke a response. You know, it, it's kind of just one of those things that's it's it's. If we're taking the Word of God seriously, we're going to be in the Word. And if we're in the mm. Word, then we're, we're not even going to be tangibly thinking and having to go make disciples. It's going to happen naturally. The Lord is very much so going to use us. It's it's it's, it's the concept of, of bi- abiding in Christ. Are we abiding in the vine? Are we in that true vine that is Christ? And if we're doing that, and, and, and that just comes from obeying, how do we abide in Christ? We obey Christ. How do you obey Christ? You ask for His grace. You 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 be you be with him. You spend time with him. You have a relationship with him. It, it's something that's it's 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 to make disciples isn't I I would say and I'm all for preparation. I'm all for using wisdom and, and doing those certain things for different ideas. But we should be making disciples everywhere we go. Like this should yeah. be something that's very very second nature to us because it's overflowing from our own personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Um, and we miss those opportunities from sin. We miss those opportunities when we're at the center of our hearts and it's not Jesus, right? And so those opportunities come from coinciding. The spirit is already bubbling something up like we're talking about now with Amelia too. It's like those things she was able to talk with a coworker and like those, that's something that the spirit had prepared was mm. for you to talk to that girl and when yeah. her mom had cancer. And so those are things that the Lord is going to do with us all the time. He has opportunities for us daily for us to, to go and walk in. And the only times we're not going to be able to, to fulfill those things are when we're, you know, not right. We're not biting in Christ. And so 
are we taking the word of God seriously? If we are, we're going to be abiding in him and, uh, <laughs> and studying his word. And if we're abiding in Christ, then every move we make is literally going to be in his will and his plan. And we're going to be making disciples. So that's good, man. I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that the problem arises when exactly the opposite happens when people don't take God's word seriously, because the reality is you can read the Bible every day and spend time in the word and still not take it seriously. A lot of people suffer from reading the scriptures like it's a manual, you know, basic instructions before leaving earth. Or a lot of times when I was a kid, I would read it almost like a fortune cookie. Like what, what does God have to say that's going to speak to me and my life and my situation and what I'm going through, you know? This girl at my school doesn't like me. What does the Bible say about that? You know, it's kind of a selfish way of reading. And so I think going to what Sam said, like we need to take the word seriously. It's not just about reading it. It's about reading it in context. It's about reading it in the scope of the entire meta narrative of scripture. Understanding the story is not about us. We are a major player. But we're, it's about Jesus. It's about what he's doing. It's about the plan of salvation. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, man. Like, it, it comes down to taking the word seriously. And if you're reading the word seriously, if you're spending time in prayer, not just selfishly praying, you know, God bless my life, but praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then asking God, how do I fit into that equation? I want your will to come. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. How can I factor into that in my neighborhood, at my work, in my sphere of influence? I think when you do that, that's that's really what's going to make the difference is, is exactly that. It's taking, it's taking Jesus and it's taking the word seriously. <laughs>